Hey, it's Steph Dixon, and welcome to the Live Wide Awake podcast. Thank you for being one of our listeners in 88 countries around the world. Today, we're speaking with Tez Steinberg, who is the first person in history to row across the Pacific Ocean alone from California to Hawaii with no prior rowing experience. The journey took 71 days and 2,700 miles, powered only by sheer will and two oars. Tez was named one of the 50 best young minds in the world by the World Economic Forum, and you can absolutely see why. Hearing his story of resilience, determination, with simple yet precise wisdom really blew me away. In this episode, we talk about the comfort crisis, finding our ocean and the courage to cross it, death as a beautiful teacher, and misconceptions around the ocean plastic crisis. Okay, it's time to live wide awake. Well, Tez, thank you so much for joining us on the Live Wide Awake podcast. I was blown away by everything that you've done and everything you're aiming to do in the coming months. So would love for you to start at the beginning and tell us what led you to want to decide to row from California to Hawaii. Thanks, Steph. Stoked to be here. It wasn't a linear journey for me at all. It started with depression when I was in university, and that led me to get into endurance sports, triathlons, ultra marathons. And that helped me recover, not surprisingly. But then it was in 2016 when I was getting my MBA that my father died and he actually took his life. And it was in the aftermath of that that I decided to row across an ocean. And at first it was because I wanted to get away from the world and just be alone. But I also knew that rowing across an ocean would be a huge force function for my growth. And so despite never having been to sea, not being a rower, not being a sailor, I threw my hat in the ring and said I would figure this out. Why rowing? Like, what was it that made you think like, oh, yeah, that's something I want to do? Yeah, <laughs> Seems most quite random. I saw a film about a woman who had rowed around the world, and she made a passing reference that just clued me in that this was something that's mental more than anything else. There are technical things to dial in, but for the most part, it's things that a layperson, anybody could learn. And so it, it was obvious that it's both accessible if you work hard enough to learn the skills and raise the funds to cover the cost of the expedition, but also a truly unique experience to get to be with yourself for an extended period of time. In my case, when I saw that film, I knew I would row across an ocean and do it alone Mm -hmm. because I really wanted to experience that solitude. We we often, in, in popular culture, there seems to be this unspoken agreement that if you spend that much time alone, you'll go crazy. And I thought that just can't actually be the case. So I wanted to find out. Yeah, and I think that's very brave of you, especially after, you know, having to witness your father go through darkness himself and to have to then process that and to be putting yourself in a position where you would be alone and really facing your thoughts and maybe your own darkness that comes up. So what, in the end, like, how was that solitude for you and what really came out of it? For the most part, I really enjoyed it. (laughs) Easy to view things in rose-tinted lenses sometimes. The first month of the expedition was genuinely awful, truly the hardest month of my life. Ocean rowing was so much harder than I could have possibly imagined. And so even though I had all this experience with endurance sports and things, it's child's play compared to being alone in the ocean. But by the end of the expedition, I loved it. And no matter what, you know, whether it was a moment where I was intimidated or overwhelmed or other moments where I was elated and grateful and excited and feeling in flow, none of those points though did I feel lonely. And I think that's an important distinction can be with yourself, you can be alone, but not feel lonely. When I felt scared or intimidated, and at times would have liked to have shared that burden with somebody else, but it wasn't because I was lonely, I was lacking company. 
And one thing I learned is just over many years is to be my own best friend. How can I be my own best friend? We, we're all in our own boat with ourselves at the end of the day. And we have our crew, we have our community, we have the people we count on and we're in our fleets together. We have our, our armadas of friends that go out. But at the end of the day, you're in your boat with yourself. And who do you get to be to be able to provide company and support and fun with yourself? And that was a challenge that I really enjoyed. Yeah, I think that's a really beautiful way to look at it and a reframe. So how amazing that you were at sea for 71 days and you didn't feel lonely. So can you also share like what did your day to day look like? Was there sort of a routine that you stuck to? You know, I'd love to just like have a little taste of what it was like on those 71 days. Yeah, and I'll give a little overview of the boat and some of the mechanics of the expedition. So people commonly expect that when you row across an ocean, there's a support boat or a chase boat. That's not actually the case. And so the entire expedition, I didn't see anyone else from start to finish. Carry everything I need, all the food and all the little pieces that food and equipment and supplies that I'll need, communication equipment, solar panels, run a battery bank, powers my desalinator to produce drinking water. So that's an overview of the vessel and what I bring. And then as in terms of how I structured the day, I rode on average about 10 hours a day and would break that up into shifts of anywhere from two to sometimes four or five or six hours at a time. And in between those shifts, I will eat, I'll clean, work on navigation. Navigation pieces is a perfect example of adapting to what life presents you. Because I might say where I want to go over the next three days, I set a milestone or a waypoint of what I'm aiming for. And that's meant to get me closer to my final destination, but also based on the conditions I have. If I'm trying to go west and a wind is blowing straight at me, I know I'm not going to go due west. So what's the best thing I can do given the conditions that I face? And so I would set milestones, review my progress against them. And then as I get closer, adjust and put another milestone out there and sort of chip away at the distance and, and get the best angle that I could. And so manage navigation in my breaks, write blogs, record videos, and most importantly, send all that back. And so while I do these expeditions, it's under the, my banner of United World Challenge. It's a nonprofit organization. And under United World Challenge, send back this content to raise funds for charity. That's a little view into how I structure the day. And so I have to ask, because, you know, you are obviously creating content, so that takes some brain power and that's sort of like an activity that you're able to do maybe every day or every few days. But did you allow yourself any input? Did you download some podcasts or listening to any audio books or were you really just like you and your thoughts and then creating content? <laughs> it was the latter. That wasn't actually the plan. I, I left with a bunch of podcasts and audio books and music and all these things. And on day three of the first expedition, my phone reset in my pocket, factory reset in my pocket. No. Probably some water on the screen and some static electricity in my shorts. And I think my leg or God tried to enter the wrong code in the phone, you know, more than 15 times. And so the phone turned itself into a brick. And although I had satellite connection, it's not the type that would allow me to restart my phone. So I lost everything. That was day three. And so at first, I was super distraught and thought, how can I possibly row across an ocean without music and audiobooks and photos of home? In the end, it was a blessing because it forced me really to be present. And I had a little bit of music on a backup phone, but only enough that I had to be very judicious about when I played it because I would grow tired of it super quickly. <laughs> so when I wanted to play it, I would ask myself, do I want to play this because I want to sing and dance? And if so, go ahead, play it, have some fun. 
But often I wanted to play it because I was feeling intimidated by how far I had to go or feeling overwhelmed and I wanted to hide from that feeling. And when I realized that's what I was doing, I'd ask myself, how will I feel when the music ends? And the feeling would still be there. I thought to the future, how will I feel when this is over? And the feeling was still there. And I'm like, well, let me just deal with it now, right? So I'd sit down at my rowing seat and just row through it. And it was a real gift. It's hard to do that on land. Right? We have so many distractions at our disposal at all times. And uh, it was a blessing to be able to really sit with everything. Yeah, I think that's incredible. And uh, yeah, I can't imagine the destroy you would have felt when everything went. But then how powerful that you were able to be like, okay, in that moment, ask yourself those tough questions to really realize, is it going to make me better or worse? And almost like ration your music, which is so fascinating. And so I think there would have been a lot of other mental games and blocks that you would have had to battle out there at sea. So what kind of kept you sane? And was there any point where you were like, you know what, I want to give up. I'm done. I can't, I can't keep going. Oh, absolutely. I wanted to give up on day three when my phone reset. <laughs> <laughs> And on day seven and on day eight and nine, 10, 11, 12, I, I, for the first month, really until at least for the first month, I desperately wanted to be anywhere else. But ocean rowing is the kind of thing where while you plan for contingencies so that if I needed to be rescued, there is a way to do that. But it's also incredibly inelegant, right? It would be getting picked up by some passing vessel, board that ship with my passport and some credit cards and nothing else because they can't take my boat with them. And then I go to the Philippines or China or Canada or wherever they're going and abandon this valuable boat that I put half of every paycheck into for three years. And that's a pretty inelegant thing. And there's also the public and social commitment, the accountability, right? Telling everyone I'm going to do this thing, getting them excited and engaged and, and enrolled and then to give up. And so when I wanted to quit, I was very much accountable to all the people, the sponsors, crowdfund backers who were invested in this. And uh, I told myself, I can quit, but not today. And that little trick, giving myself permission to quit, allowed me to feel some empathy for myself, normalize the fact that I didn't want to be in this hellish experience, but then play a little trick on myself and say, yeah, I can do that, but not today. So what do I do today? Just make it a good day. And ironically, that meant not thinking about finishing, not thinking about would I ever make it to Hawaii, but what can I do to enjoy today? It's really just enjoying the present moment. You know, that's all we have. Like a wave could have washed me off the boat, even though I'm tethered, right? Technically a wave washing overboard shouldn't, shouldn't take my life. But practically speaking, something could happen. And so if this is my last day out here, this is our last day anywhere, can't we enjoy it, right? So that was what I asked myself and took things one day at a time. So I noticed you just said our last day. So did you kind of then have yourself as like a persona, like an actual, so you kind of were like, we're in this together. Is that how the dialogue went for you? Oh yeah. yeah. It's funny. Yeah. If you watch my videos, they're on YouTube for the first expedition. I started off talking about I, and then by the end, it was always the royal we. <laughs> I just gave into it. I'm like, I don't know. It's me and my boats, me and Wilson. I don't know, but yeah. it's us for sure. Yeah. 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 There was a team mentality there. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> And I loved reading on your website about how we all have an ocean to cross and more of the time our ocean is more mental than anything else. So can you unpack that a little bit for us? And maybe you have some stories to share around that, either yourself or other people. Absolutely. You know, ocean rowing is a metaphor at the end of the day. I'm not encouraging anyone to get in a boat and row across an ocean. Only if you really want to do it, then I might even try and talk you out of it. <laughs> I'm preparing for my next ocean row. I, I wish I had talked myself out of it a while ago. <laughs> But it's, it's ultimately a metaphor, 
right? We have waves washing overboard. How do we respond? And in terms of that, us all having that ocean to cross, it could be a conversation that you're, you know, you need to have with somebody, but you're not doing it. Could be a business you want to start or a, or a promotion you want to ask for. Those are small steps, you know, and you don't always have to have this grandiose ocean, but what is that thing in your life that you're called for, called to, that you're passionate about, or even just curious about? So often we have these curiosities and inklings and, and interests and don't give them the attention they deserve. And our lives can pass us by without actually finding that ocean. And so the two pieces of this is, is that I say, find your ocean and the courage to cross it. Because you can name your ocean and know what it is, but say, yeah, make an excuse. It's not for me. I can't do that. I need all of these experiences or accomplishments or resources first. And that's a story we tell ourselves to keep ourselves safe. Our egos get challenged when we pursue something where we can fail. And so we keep ourselves safe by not trying. But it's ultimately just in that taking that first step that it becomes possible. Yeah, so much wisdom and, and clear, simple, strong wisdom there. I love it. And I think, you know, when you're talking about finding that courage to cross it, so mindset is such a huge and important piece in this, I think. And it gets so easy, especially with the current, you know, climate that we're facing, you know, with the world, the state of things, you can so easily succumb to the heaviness and the stress and the anxiety or insert word, right? So what are some of the best tools and practices for someone that's like, you know what, I'm ready. I want to cross my ocean, but how can I get that courage? Like, what do I need? Or what are the mental tools that like you can share with them that, you know, aside from a couple that you've already shared, but like, what are your advice and tools for people? Because at the end of the day, the mind is really a muscle like everything else. So yeah, I mean, well, you said it, the mind is the muscle. So it's about getting in the reps, you know, the, the getting in the reps, the repetitions, because it's through that practice that we become better at it, right? When I, I said that a film inspired me to row across an ocean, and that's the case, but that wasn't the first time I heard of ocean rowing. The first time I heard of it, I watched a TED talk and this was just a couple of years after getting into endurance sports. I watched a TED talk and I saw this one speak about rowing across oceans and I thought to myself, too bad, I'll never be that cool. Literally had that thought. <laughs> and then I went on my journey doing more and more intense ultra marathons and Ironmans and all that kind of stuff. And when I heard of ocean rowing the second time, after this whole journey of growth, I'd gotten to a spot where I realized I could do it if I decided. Now, I would have never believed you if you told the younger me the first time I heard of ocean rowing that one day I would do it. And if I set out to figure that out, it, it would have been a hard path. But what I did in, in the interim was I picked goals that were incredibly intimidating. And this is an important point. I, when I wanted to do a new race, I didn't pick one that I felt comfortable with. I picked ones that were wildly uncomfortable so that when I did it, I would 10x what I thought I could do. Right? It would give me that additional evidence, but not just incremental evidence, a whole new category just to get practical. As an ultra marathon runner, I'd done you know, races up to 50 miles nonstop. And when I decided to row across an ocean, which was, I had no evidence to suggest I could do it. I thought, what is something I can do that is wildly intimidating, but gives me the mental skills to go into this ocean row? And so I picked a 145 mile ultra marathon. And normally people go, for, if you're going to do, if you're going to go above your 50 miler, people normally go to hundred miles. And I said, I'm going to skip that. I'm going to go to 145 miles. 
because I want to toe the line to something that genuinely scares the crap out of me. And, and it did. When I showed up at the start line of this 145 mile race, I looked around and I'm like, I have no business being here. <laughs> These are all people who have run multiple hundred mile races. This is a race that has a, you know, a less than 50% finish rate. I, I have no business even trying. And I threw my hat in the ring and it was the hardest thing I ever did up until that point, but I finished. And when I finished, I didn't just incrementally increase what I thought I could do with running. I blew it out of the water. And then that just gave me the perception that, hey, where else can I do this in my life? And so translating that into what the, the listener can do, first of all, it's doing something you're genuinely interested and curious in. Because if you enjoy it, you'll go a lot farther. If you're like, hey, how do I become a better runner and you don't like running? Pick something else, you know? So something you're genuinely curious and passionate about. And listen to that interest. And then when you're, when you're willing, set some goals that force you to grow. Encapsulate this idea as set a goal so big, you have to grow into the person who can achieve it. I love that. Thank you. It's a, I love that quote too. Again, it's simple, but so powerful and beautiful. And so thank you for sharing. I think that's, you know, it's nice to almost have the permission to be like, yeah, you know, I'm going to set a goal that is going to make me grow into the person that can achieve it. Like, I think there's some power in that, in the permission almost and the, the guidance of that. And so now you're almost doubling your journey to go 5,000 miles from Hawaii to Australia for potentially, as you said, before we started filming to maybe six months at sea. Wow. And so I have to ask, like, what made you want to come back and do this a second time? Yeah, I know. I'm asking myself the same thing right now. So when I finished my first expedition, the final month, I was just loving the experience of being at sea. It's remarkably beautiful. The colors, the sky, the water, the wildlife, it's just stunning. And I wanted to bear witness to that, to be able to share that beauty with other people and also do something to help protect the ocean. Because alongside all that wildlife and beauty, I saw tons of plastic every day. Mm and came back to land and asked myself, what can I do to help the ocean plastic crisis? And so this next expedition that's beginning November, 2023, I'm getting back in my boat in Oahu, Hawaii, picking up where I left off and rowing 5,000 miles to Cairns, Australia. 5,000 is in a straight line. Realistically, it'll probably be closer to 6,000 miles. The route that I did in 2020 was 2,100 in a straight line. So this is actually more than twice the distance. I'm hoping that because I've learned a thing or two from the first row that I can be a little more efficient and it only takes me four months, but I'm bringing six months of food. And along the way, we'll be sharing the story, photos, videos, blogs to raise funds and action to help solve the ocean plastic crisis. So why out of all the things that you could have chosen, did you pick plastic? Is it because you were confronted by the amount of it in the ocean the first time around? That was a big part of it. Having seen it on the front line, seeing all of that plastic, it did have a really big impact on me. It, it was hard to reconcile the beauty and the fragility at once. And the other thing is, it's something people are generally informed about. However, there are also a lot of misconceptions. People imagine that what's in the middle of the ocean is an island of trash. It's not, it's more like smog. When you go to a city and there's air pollution, that's the same thing as what we have in the ocean because the plastics break down so quickly. They don't decompose, but they break into smaller and smaller pieces that they're akin to smog. And we're just not going to collect that from the middle of the ocean. So one is, here's something that people know about, they care about, and we can help shift people's awareness of what actually is driving the issue. And 
excitingly enough, there, there are solutions to this. 80% of the plastic in the ocean comes from rivers. What that means is we have points of intervention that actually can stop this flow of plastic. And so what I'm doing is partnering with some of the leading organizations in ocean plastic prevention who have river-based barriers that catch plastic before it would flow into the ocean. And with our crowdfund, we aim to build 20, 25 new barriers in Indonesia, which is one of the largest ocean plastic contributors, stopping millions of pounds of plastic from flowing to the ocean. Yeah, that's incredible. And so that leads me to ask, how can people support you? You know, they're here, they want to support your mission, they want to follow along. Like, what is the best way to do that? Follow along at United World Challenge on Instagram, on Facebook. Uh, You can connect with me on LinkedIn, Tez Steinberg, or go to unitedworldchallenge.org, where I'll be sharing the journey through a blog, photos, videos, and you can also donate to our crowdfund, all at unitedworldchallenge.org. Incredible. Were there any other misconceptions around plastic that you wanted to share as well? What people also don't understand about ocean plastic is they think that it's all at the surface. Only 1% of ocean plastic is at the surface because it breaks down so quickly and a lot of it sinks. 10% is suspended in the water column, but up to 90% is unaccounted for. We don't know where it goes. And that has big implications. We know we're, we're finding in plastic in unexpected places, in human bodies, in breast milk, in the clouds, in alpine lakes and glaciers, even all the way down in the Mariana Trench. So it's being distributed absolutely everywhere. And while I'm out at sea, I'll be gathering data to help some scientists and researchers better understand the migration of microplastics. But this misconception that it's big objects at the surface is precisely what makes people think that we can collect it from the middle of the ocean, but we just can't. It's just not practical or possible. And it really comes down to stopping it before it gets out there. There was one other point. The way we relate to the ocean actually hasn't evolved very much in hundreds of years or thousands of years. We have always thought the ocean is too big to impact. And that's why we used it as a dumping ground for our trash, for our waste, for our nuclear waste, our our weapons disposal, all sorts of things. And now that it's trashed, we still say it's too big. We think it's too big to fix. And you can't hold both of those things at the same time. It's a paradox. But we we said it's too big to have an impact. And now that it's had an impact, it's too big to make a positive impact. And so looking at the fact that we have incrementally and over time exponentially had an impact on the ocean, we can take the same approach to solving it. It's the consistency of very small actions that do add up. You might not see the results overnight. We won't, in fact, see the results overnight. But you have to take that step anyway and trust that it can change over time. And so what I'm hoping to do with this row in my story is to provide that example in a real-life experience of what small actions do when applied consistently over a long period of time. Like one oar stroke doesn't take me almost anywhere, just a few feet. But when I do two million oar strokes, I can cross an entire ocean under my own power. If I skipped a stroke here or there, you know, it wouldn't make a difference because it's the consistency of going all the time. But when you say, ah, what does one do? It doesn't do anything, so I'm not going to bother, then you don't get anywhere. And the same thing applies to solving the ocean plastic crisis or changing anything in our personal lives. It's just the power of those small, consistent actions. Absolutely. That's how we change the world. That's how we build the bridge for larger collective action, or in this case, larger impact that's required. So how do you think that we can live wide awake? Mm. To me, living wide awake is remembering that we might die tomorrow. Uh, I was taught that when my dad died. 
And that made me reflect on my own mortality and what I could do with the short time that I'm here. And that's what led me to row across an ocean. It could lead you to anything, but death can be a wonderful teacher. And I think reflecting on the fact that we will all die and allows us to live a more meaningful life and a life wide awake. Mm. Since you brought up death, I'm just going to ask one final question. Why do you think people are so scared of death and don't use it as a motivator the way that you just presented it? Because I think people are living outside of their values or they're not proud of what they're doing with this life. And I totally get it. It can all be overwhelming, but we have a bit of a comfort crisis. We live our lives in pursuit of comfort. And sometimes comfort is essential and important. When I finish a row, believe me, I want comfort and nothing else. But when our entire lives are organized around convenience and comfort, it comes at great cost to meaning, purpose, impact, connectivity, and legacy. And so we hide from the fact that we're going to die because it presents a, a, a harsh reminder that often we would not be proud with how we spent the little time we have. Mm, that is a very, very articulate explanation. Thank you so much. And honestly, Tez, I'm insanely inspired by everything you're doing and your capacity for explanation and the wisdom that you're holding. And I just want to wish you the best of luck moving forward. And I hope that everyone listening go and follow and support and donate if you're in the capacity to be able to do that because this is such a meaningful expedition. And yeah, we hope that that you get all the support you need. Thank you so much, Steph. Three things I'm taking away from this conversation with Tez. Firstly, our lives can pass us by. So let's find our ocean and then find the courage to cross it. Pick something that makes you wildly uncomfortable and set goals that will force you to grow into the person who can achieve it. I absolutely love this. Secondly, we have a comfort crisis. Let's not succumb into comfort at all costs or we're gonna miss the beauty of life and death can be a wonderful teacher here. Thirdly, plastic is akin to smog. It's everywhere in the ocean, but small, consistent actions around the world can help stop the flow of plastic into our very precious ocean. I'm curious, what did you think about the episode and what were your main takeaways? Is there a topic you want me to dive deeper into? I'd love to hear from you. You can find me at Steph L. Dixon or at Live Wide Awake. If you got something out of the podcast and you want to continue this journey with us, consider subscribing and supporting. I hope that today's conversation stirred something deep within you, ready to awaken. And until next time, live wide awake. Mm-hmm.